Hello to everyone that's listening along to the Disruptors for Good podcast and a part of the Cause Artists community. I have a simple question for you. Are you involved with any nonprofits or no individuals that are? My name is Stephen Garton, and I'm the founder of Charity Charge. I ask you to deliver this simple message to them. Tell them about Charity Charge, the first and only no annual fee, no personal guarantee corporate credit card designed for nonprofits. It's an amazing way for the organizations that you care about to improve the financial stability of their nonprofit and to also reduce the personal risk and liability for their employees. To learn more, check out charitycharge.com. What's up, everybody? This is Grant, Tech Cause Artist. Today is episode 37 of the Disruptors for Good podcast, and we are speaking with Ian Rosenberger, who's the founder of some amazing companies. Uh, you might know him from Thread International. They were one of the original companies that I can remember that started to create uh, materials out of uh, plastic water bottles. And their first big sort of partnership was with Timberland. The, the shoe company or apparel company, Timberland, they did a partnership with them to do sort of a small line of, of apparel and, and shoes with these materials that Thread International had created. And, and what Ian has done over the last decade or so is really look at the landscape of how can we create sustainability around jobs, around products, around using something that is detrimental to our environment and creating the ecosystem where it can be a positive force. So his companies are First Mile and Day Owl, which Thread International has essentially turned into. So First Mile is the company that create these materials and will partner with other brands to use these upcycled plastic water bottle materials to create their own lines, right? Whether you're Puma, Converse, um, Nike, or, or smaller brands that want to partner with Ian and First Mile to get products made out of this material and offer that to their consumer base. That, that's what First Mile does. What Day Owl is, is their own direct-to-consumer brand. So they are using First Mile materials to create this Day Owl brand which will start with a unbelievable backpack. I'm fortunate to have one, and it really is amazing. The fabric, the canvas, I mean, I don't really see myself ever having another backpack for a very, very long time. And it's, it's really quite amazing that it's made from you know, plastic water bottles and other sustainable materials. Um, but it's been a, a long journey for Ian, and we talk a lot about what it was like his first time going to Haiti and seeing all the, the waste and seeing how he can create jobs around it, right? And how he can create, and then create eventually materials. But his initial thought was, look, I want to create a nonprofit and create jobs. And then it was, you know, how do we create materials, right? How do we create products? How do we create a sustainable workforce here by you know, picking up waste and turning it into products, beautiful products that people can buy. So it's been a really, really long journey. You know, to date, they have, redirected over 96 million plastic bottles from landfills and oceans and transformed them into uh, consumer goods for global brands, like I said, but then also now the new brand that will be coming out uh, called Day Owl. And uh, it's uh, quite impressive what they have done. So I think it's uh, it's, it's pretty impressive. And uh, so just a little bit about Ian himself. He's spoken about this at South by Southwest. Uh, Harvard Business School and the United Nations. He was a two six, 2016 Barclays Unreasonable Impact Fellow, and he currently sits on the Ocean Conservancy's Technical Advisory Committee for the Elimination of Plastic Waste. And to date, he has directed nearly $10 million to need-based communities with too much plastic and, and not enough jobs. And that's, I think, the most important thing here is, is that you know there's not enough jobs where there are way 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 too much plastic waste right and finding a way to merge those two is a quite is a quite beautiful thing so i think his uh i think ending poverty and the plastic uh crisis is just uh something that's dear to ian's heart and i think it's a lot of what we talk about and uh i hope it's uh i hope it's something that you enjoy and you get a lot out of i want to take a i want to take a little bit of time to talk about the new post that went live the other day, 37 social entrepreneurs to watch for in 2020. It's a list that I've done for seven years now, which is which is pretty cool. And it really just gives some some insight into you know, some of the amazing people around the world that, that are doing some stuff and who are the 
you know, up and comers in you know the social entrepreneur space. Some have been in for a little while and started really hitting their flow now, and some are just starting. So it's a great list. Go check it out, causeartist.com. If you get a chance, uh, like and review the show, and hope everybody has a great day and a great weekend. We'll talk soon. Bye. So what I usually like to start with is the journey that that people go on before they they start what they were sort of meant to start in life, right? So I know it's uh. There's probably a ton of different things that that went into the journey, but can you just start a little bit about how it first manifested? It seemed to maybe manifest first when you went to Haiti. Is that right? Yeah, you know it's funny. I I always say that I I'm a little thick, so um, mm-hmm. finding what what uh, I was supposed to do in life, uh, it kind of had to hit me over the head. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and for you know the earth literally shook, and and that's what led me to to what I ended up you know dedicating my life to. And yeah, it started back with the earthquake in Haiti and in, in way back in 2010, which is, I can't believe coming up on 10 years. A decade, huh? <laughs> yeah. So you went down there to to volunteer? I went down initially uh, after the earthquake, yeah, to volunteer. Uh, and it was it was funny. I, I didn't, I actually did exactly what I tell people now not to do. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. uh, I just got on a plane and went. And, sure. And, uh, my idea was to hook up with some, you know, um, NGO and figure out how to how to be useful. And I remember actually when it, when nine eleven happened, I was actually in college. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm old. <laughs> I'm like I'm thirty eight. I'm the, like one of the oldest millennials. <laughs> <laughs> You're at the tipping point. I'm at the very tip. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember when nine eleven happened. I was, you know, I I I said, man, I really should go. I was like an EMT on campus, and I, I went to Penn State, so I was close close to it. And I didn't go, and I still regret it. Mm. Um, going and and i just you know when the earthquake came along it was another one of those moments where it was like i think i can be useful but i don't want to be presumptive and i don't want to like you know kind of bring my privilege into it and all the stuff that goes along with you being a volunteer and looking like a i do which is a white guy from the midwest mm-hmm, um, sure. and just like assigning my value to wherever i was going but yeah it just turned out that i went down and i was kind of blown away in a negative way by how poorly the ngo community um, responds uh, both to earthquakes and to building economies and over time decided to start a business. So what did that obviously happen after, right? So you go down there and maybe spend like a week or two or something like that. And then something hits you where you see the plastic, a plastic waste issue or see like, I guess, how does it go from volunteer to starting a business? Yeah, that's a great question. It took a long time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, And you're right. I went down for like a week, uh, and uh, I, originally, I took pictures and, and uh, just spent the week there, just trying to absorb as much as I could. And I made some friends. And all my friend, my new friends, were like, You're, "You'll never come back. Nobody ever comes back." Blah blah blah. And uh, and so I was like, "Okay, like that's a bet." And so yeah. I, I came back. And then that led to another trip, which led to another trip. And eventually, you know, I I had met a kid, a kid at the time, um, who was uh, dying of a tumor in his face. And uh, on one of those trips, he just asked me for help and because and, and, he wasn't able to get the help he needed uh, in his community. His name's um, Tassie. And that led to raising some money to get him the surgery he needed. I brought him up to the States to get the surgery. Essentially, they took out his jaw and replaced right. it with the bone from his leg. And, you know, when we when I brought him back home after all that recovery, uh, he had let, lived with my dog and I, and my roommate <laughs> in Pittsburgh. I realized that the whole this whole exercise of like helping him out was kind of self congratulatory for for me. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. look at this, look at this like privileged rich kid from Pittsburgh. You know, relatively rich. I grew up middle class, but you know, sure. relative to eighty. Uh, and and you know, this whole exercise just felt very uh, self indulgent. And 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 it was because you know I realized really quickly that by leaving just dropping off Tassie in his neighborhood in, in Port-au-Prince and kind of leaving him to be that sure. it was, I was going to kind of guarantee his future of, you know, a short life and probably a violent death. So it kind of dawned on me that in order to make this a useful exercise for everybody that I needed to stick with, with the people that I was serving until they didn't need me anymore. And that led to a two year journey to figure out what that means, <laughs> you know, right. and figuring out like how people, walk out of poverty and what accompaniment means. And, and then eventually I got to the bottom line, which was that all the, my friends uh, that, you know, I'd now made in Haiti, they weren't looking for handouts. They weren't looking for aid. 
mm-hmm. were just looking for jobs. They, right. And they wanted the things that I wanted, which was like, you know, a roof over my head and a, 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 a paycheck. Yeah, uh, it's and, uh, you know, Haiti. I went to Haiti a few years ago, too. And the one thing that, that I saw was I never could imagine driving across an entire country and see poverty, right? Like in America, there's poverty, right? Around the world, South America, there's poverty. You know, there's real poverty, but they do, there's pockets of like nice neighborhoods, right? right? And like people who are either educated and have good jobs. But like in Haiti, we drove for seven hours and there was none of that, yeah. you know? And it was it was just a, a stark reality of like poverty is not necessary, necessarily economical. It's just opportunity. The lack of opportunity is just not there. Once yeah. that's given or, you know, created, it's it's inevitable that people there will do the same thing that we do, right? I mean, they'll build up communities, they'll build infrastructure, you know, economic development will happen. But when you don't have any opportunity, then like you have no chance to to proceed and mature as a country and uh, an individual. So I guess you went from, from like an economic development, right? Approaches, what can we do to create jobs, right? So what That's was right. that first step in figuring out what kind of business am I going to start to to create jobs. I think you're right on, man. Like the idea of like uh, poverty, as it turns out, is not uh, about anything but access. And mm-hmm. I think opportunity yep. is another great word for it, right? Access to the same um, the same rights and privileges that that people have uh, in places like the United States. Most people have in places. Like, you know, I shouldn't say all people, right? And so, so then our mission then became, how do we provide that access? How do we simulate that access in an econ- in economies that it, where it doesn't normally exist? And, and how do we do that in a way that doesn't, doesn't uh, disrupt the natural order of things that like I mentioned earlier about like kind of projecting our own privilege onto these communities. So, so that, yeah, it became about jobs. And, and what, what I realized was that it's not enough just to give or, or, or offer or provide the space for jobs. There's a couple of really important things that not just people in Haiti, but people everywhere, every person, mm-hmm. you, me, anywhere, anybody, anywhere needs in order to be successful before uh, a job comes into play. Like you need, for example, like if, if you were out on the street and you couldn't, you know, have enough, you didn't have enough money to pay for a bus pass to get to work. Mm-hmm. Right. And like getting, giving you a job wouldn't necessarily help that, you know, it puts you in a position to maybe get that bus. But what happens if you have kids, mm-hmm. right? Like what do you provide for, you know, a lot of people are, 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 are traveling hours and hours, even in the United States um, on a bus to get to a job where they, if they don't have childcare, like, the, you know, they're either spending all their money on childcare. So then they end up net zero or it puts them in a position where they have to miss work in order to take care of their kids and they end up getting fired. So like everybody needs a certain base level of, health, safety, under roof, free from financial, like really serious financial debt. And uh, so, so I started a nonprofit that, that helps what we call fill in the hole and provide those things. We work in a specific area that does that. So we, we help families, you know, get healthy, get educated, get under roof, and then, you know, get to a place where they're free from, from debt. And only then are they ready for a job. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so that was a long, that was like a four year journey of like talking, essentially just having conversations with the poor right. and like kind of learning as we go. And then ultimately it was like, all right, well now our friends, now a couple thousand people are mm-hmm. all ready for jobs, but like, what are we going to do? <laughs> right. And I went back to my original photos and I was looking around at, you know, journal entries and trying to figure out what we were going to do. And originally I wanted to convince Patagonia to build a factory in Haiti. Cause I was right. like, Oh, we just get a factory down here. All the people will have jobs. And like everybody kind of laughed at me whenever I would, you know, I would propose things like that. So sure. eventually I was just like, well, there's a lot of trash here. Like what happens if we can get it picked up off the ground? Yep. That's well, now we're getting, now we're getting into some of the things that I'm, I'm really passionate about is uh, fashion, so to speak. Right. And then mm-hmm. creating jobs and trying to find innovative ways to create clothing because the fashion industry is massive, but it's also the second cause to pollution just behind the oil industry. So there's a real problem there and to figure out a way to to not only prevent waste from getting into our oceans cuz that's obviously another massive massive issue and then turning that into to clothes or accessories or all this different stuff. So I've always loved the life cycle like we were talking about before. I, I kind of followed you guys when, you know, you had all these fabrics and I was like, "Wow, this is made from trash, right? Picked up from Haiti." And this is like right when I came back from Haiti, so I was like, "Wow, this is like incredible like i 
the, the life cycle of the entire thing. I was like, this is amazing. This is going to change everything. <laughs> right. So I guess it, tell, tell us how it works from hiring people just simply like you hire people just go pick up garbage and then put it where though. Right. Like that's the first step. Yeah, that that's right. And that even that first step, I'm, you know, there's, there's a lot of like loaded questions there. Right. Sure. But, sure. You know, like, again, like our, our theory of change is that poverty is about choice and about access, providing choice for the, for the, to the people who don't normally have it and access to the people who want it. And you know, it's not everybody's ideal job to say like, oh, I'm going to go pick up trash for a living. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. nevertheless, you know, by our count, there's tens of millions of people around the world who do just that every day. Right. And whether or not we're involved with them, um, they're still going to be doing that, right? They're still going to be picking up trash for a living, whether we're with them or not. You know, we call it the I- I- informal economy of waste management. Mm-hmm, like there are mm-hmm. tens of millions of people who earn a living collecting trash, yeah, some of them live in landfills. Some of them live next to landfills. Some of them just like go door to door in their communities and and pick up plastic bottles. And you've probably seen them in the U.S. Like there's people who in cities will you know pick aluminum cans and plastic bottles out of garbage cans yep. in New York or Kansas City or St. Mm-hmm. Louis or wherever. And those people are doing the same thing. Yeah. The the trick for us is like how do we bring how do we bring dignity to that work? And that's a really tall order, right? Like sure. You know it, it, because we saw an opportunity, like you said, like to take things that people were throwing away and turn them into something useful, but like without dignity to that work, it's not mm-hmm. useful to anybody. It's yeah. not useful to the brand. It's not useful to the people picking up the trash. Like it's not useful to me or you. And like, I can't wear clothes in good conscience. that are just simply made of recycled materials. Like I need to know that like those materials provided for that theory of change that we talked about. So we spent like, Another couple of years, you know, mm-hmm. figuring out like how to bring dignity. We, you know, so we started doing programming in landfills to to make sure that that you know we we found kids that were working in landfills and a lot of brands like fashion brands that you know and I know and that we love or did love, like you know they've got kids in their supply chain picking up plastic bottles. Yep. And and you know, there's one of two things you can do with all that. You can either walk away from that and say, oh well, we're not going to collect from those kids, even though we know they're going to be there anyway. Or we can lean into it and we can say like, yo, our brand solves for these problems. Our brand is going to be a leader for these problems. And you would be astounded at the number of brands who, A, you know, aren't interested in that. Like they, right. are, they care about just like making sure that that bottom line exists. But B, you know, B, once you get through all of that, that when the life cycle of their product is finished, when they're, when they're done with it, that they're not really thinking at all about circularity, about what happens to it when, they're, when the consumer is done with it. And I just feel like that is the biggest opportunity that exists today, not just in fashion, but in business. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. convinced that there's such good stuff in there. So I know we can take this any way you want now. But like- well, when when you originally started just saying, hey, there's a problem. There's a lot of trash here. Let's let's create jobs around just picking up trash, right? Was right. initially turning it because I don't think the manufacturing and the technology there is actually turn it into textiles originally yeah. right did no, that come yeah. after yeah originally it was just like get it up off the ground and right then, and then we were like well, we'll recycle it and what can we turn it into right and we realized that like textiles was one thing but then you know there's a bunch of other stuff that comes along with textiles like there's microfibers and there's you know there's yep. a trillion little things that happen sure in the textile and fashion industry so so we got you know step by step we got smarter and smarter and we're like all right well if we're gonna make something let's make sure we make things that are durable that store that plastic as carbon for like durable goods for the long term. Any brand that we work with, how do we help them tell this story in a way um, that's real and authentic? It, it also provides you know them a leg up on all the people that are just collecting, you know, making stuff out of recycled goods. Like it's not enough for a brand to make something that's recycled. Mm-hmm. If that's not like we used to think like I don't know that was that was good, and certainly it's a good baseline. But I feel like it, at this point. Every new brand and every old brand should be making all of their stuff out of recycled material. One hundred percent. All my all other friends yeah. that have that want to start fashion brands, I'm like, okay, but you need to do it this way, right? <laughs> right? And it's 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 for I think because we're in the lead so much, we're like, yeah, this should be the foundation for everything. But like, yeah. you know, I mean, that's not the thought process of millions of entrepreneurs out there that have no idea that this stuff even exists. Right. So where they can even create their brand from textiles like this. Right. right? So that that's 
the hurdle is you've done the hard part, right? Is is creating the opportunity for founders to to use this kind type of fabric and textile. But the second biggest hurdle is like make sure they know it exists, or they're not just going to China and doing it like every yeah. other single brand in the world ever did, and then you're just slapping your logo on it. Like you're not. That's, that's right. not a real thing. <laughs> that's that. That's, that's, that's right on. It. I completely agree with you. Yeah, I I think. And, and listen, I, actually, that's what led us to get to our own direct-to-consumer brand. So like, yeah, yeah, the, we'll, know, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. I want to. I want to. First, let's do. Let's talk about like thread originally. So we yeah, get yeah. the we get the garbage picked up. We figure out a way in Haiti. I mean, is the facility there in Haiti where you take the garbage now and then you bring it to this facility in Haiti and it gets turned into textiles and then you have Haitians working at that facility as well and picking up the garbage and then you're starting to really employ a lot of people and things are working is that yeah, how so, so it's that's close yeah so so there were lots of people who were picking up trash anyway you know right. we went and said look we started talking to all those people and, and just were like what do you need in order to like a make more money mm-hmm. and be like enjoy this more and and then finally see like if you don't like can you could you do something else if you decided not to do this anymore right like mm-hmm. what, what right do you have that choice that we believe every person should have so like we just started creating programs like we we created a microloan program that uh, that undercut predatory lending in the communities that we served. And that helped increase the amount of waste that people picked up, but also the amount of money that they made and uh, um, amount of money that they owed to people. We created a school that helped pull kids off uh, off of the landfill and essentially pay them to stay in school as opposed to having to work in the landfill. You know, we created like after Hurricane Matthew, we uh, we we put together volunteer brigades to um, help raise the level of uh, soil in the landfill so that some of the people that we serve were not underwater anymore. Right. Like, right. There's, you know, we offer like trainings and safety and business and all that stuff. So like th- that was the first iteration of our business was just spending a lot of like a lot of time doing really nerdy stuff that yeah, really yeah. kind of nonprofit oriented because like every brand that was coming to us or that we were talking to, like they had these really strict standards that they had to follow. And we realized that if we couldn't figure out how to get like what was traditionally a really dirty industry up to a level right. that want to work with us, then like, I believe that scale solves most stuff. Right. So like, if we can't get to scale, what are we doing? Right. Like, yeah. why, like why, who cares? If, like, if this is going to be like a tiny project, just in Haiti, like that's, mm-hmm. I want this to be in a hundred countries. Yep all over the world and, and and so that was the first you know the first bunch of years was just figuring that out and getting our first clients so we were starting to buy these materials yeah i remember i, I it might not have been the first one but i think it was the first one that i remember was the the collaboration with timberland yeah, yeah. that was i think that, i mean that was years ago now but uh yeah, but that's ago. the one i first really remember of a big brand and i it might have been stuff before that i'm sure that you guys work with but i remember specifically that one being something that i thought was okay it's happening right and it, it's still it, i thought by this point it would they would say okay we want 100 percent of our everything we make to be this right and then obviously that didn't happen but i think yeah. that was a good stepping stone right for you guys and then for them to get the foot in the door and, and trying to figure this out. That's exactly what it was. Like we made so many mistakes with Timberland. Mm-hmm. It's like, like, you know, like completely frankly, like so many things. Like I, I they were so flexible with us because we were doing it for the first time. Like the first time. Sure, I, man. You're trying I, to I figure it out. Yeah. yeah I, I took this piece of fabric. I'll send you a picture of it. It just was like the shittiest piece of fabric ever. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah. I took it to Timberland's offices and I was like, can we make something out of this? And and to their immense credit, they were like, look, bring a back another version and we'll give you a month and and we'll turn this into something. And yeah. so, so yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was just like having, there's a couple of specific people. There's a woman named Margaret Moray Ruiner at Timberland who's just mm-hmm. like the coolest. She's their partnerships person. And to have somebody at a brand who was like, who got it, who really, right. really understood what we were trying to do was, it's just like the most important thing in working with, with big brands. So yeah, that's exactly what Timberland was. But what was really awesome is, from a business perspective is like all this hard work of trying to figure out like how to represent the people we serve in our supply chains. When we got it out into the market, we realized that like when we did a release with Timberland, traffic to our own site went up by 70%. Wow. Like the thread. So like, yeah, translating. Like, I was one of them. <laughs> good, yeah, right on. Like all this good stuff, like up to that was like this unlock for me. It was like people actually care about this stuff. 
So like whatever friends tell you that, oh, like consumers don't care, whatever, 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 like it's false. Like I think that's that's total that's a total fallacy. Like people do care. And like we saw that and we're like, we gotta figure out a way to harness this. It's all about education and discovery, right? Even from like we were talking about before, like poverty is about access, right? And opportunity more than it is about money. And that's the same you can flip that with con- consumers. Right. I think if you give people the opportunity to buy things like this, I think they will over other stuff. But but, you know, up to, you know, maybe five, five years ago, six years ago, there was an opportunity for people to buy stuff like this. Right. Or even have the access to discover it existed. Right. Like all this stuff is. So I think, you know, it's it's my job and, (laughs) you know, your job to, to really educate people and help them discover stuff like this. So when they go make purchases that's the ultimate change we have to make is how people buy things. That's the that's the ultimate scale because if that changes, everything changes. You change a trillion dollar market, everything changes. And that's what consumerism is. It's trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars at a global level. And if you can change just a small percentage of that to people to buy stuff like this, poverty changes in areas like Haiti, right? Education starts to change. They get uplifted, so now they're purchasing more goods from local vendors, right? I mean, it's a trickle effect for the positive. So yeah, I just that's right. I, no, I I totally get. I mean, I'm I am definitely like buying what you're selling, like riding your train for sure. <laughs> I just think that like here's the thing. I think that's that's tricky is that if we don't guide that systemic change via like by pressuring organizations to understand and engage at a social and environmental level in a real way. Mm-hmm. What, like what will happen is what always happens, which is like a couple people will get a lot richer and then a bunch of people will get taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. you see this with like, you know, you see this in the United States, like it, it, it like we, there's a massive conversation about race in America right now. Mm-hmm. And like, like black poor folks in America continue to get poorer, not because like they don't have role models, not because like they don't, it's because we don't push, like we don't put in, like the system is set up like to not give communities opportunity. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. And, and to put you know money and resources into these spaces and i i feel really strongly that all we have to do is is set the system up such that people don't get screwed uh whether you know they're they're black or poor or any, anything else and we put ourselves in a position for people to be successful and to like give everybody the chance to to be successful i think that is true whether you're working in Port-au-Prince or you're working in Pittsburgh, anywhere in between. When you have the system in Haiti now, is it sort of figured out as far as from the workflow of trash being turned into fabrics and, and textiles and how many people are being employed and what sort of what sort of jobs d- does that look like, right? Is it sort of, you know, minimum wage in Haiti is going to be much different, right, than minimum wage in yeah, no, that's right. It is. Minimum wage in Haiti is different. It's not a livable wage. Uh, right. Minimum wage. It's um, I think it's about four dollars a day. Oh, the, Haiti's had a really tough time with inflation, and and uh, yeah. there's a whole other thing we can dive. We can t- spend a whole hour talking about just the issues that are going on in Haiti. Yeah. And we also work in Honduras and in uh, Taiwan now. And and you know I'm about to leave for Vietnam, and I'll be in Indonesia mm-hmm. next week. But the a number of people so far we've collected and facilitated the collection of about 89 million plastic bottles. So about 4 million pounds of trash that's been diverted from landfills in the ocean. Um, wow. We've directed an additional $2 million of investment in both social programs and jobs infrastructure mm-hmm. in the supply chains that we work with. And uh, a, a, several thousand people are earning income because of, because of the supply chains. Wow. Um, and, and we look at we look at it and say, look, like it, it's and it's still pretty hard for us to measure, like because every person participates in the supply chain differently. Like some people yep. collect for a couple hours a day, some people collect full time. Um, so we want to make sure people get the choice. But when they are earning money, we know that if you're collecting full time in one of our supply chains, that you can earn a decent living. Um, you can earn well over that that four dollars a day in, in in the vicinity of eight to ten dollars a day in, in the Haiti chain. So it puts people in a position to be successful. It's still not enough, mm-hmm. right? Like we we need to do more. We're not perfect, but but I know that we're seeing progress. And you know, I'm really we're really proud of that so far. We've also yeah. cut a number of Go kids working in the landfill in Haiti in half. There used to be about two hundred and sixty kids working, seven hundred seventy five kids working in a landfill in Haiti. And over the course of the past two and a half years. 
you know, we've cut that number down to half. And we think that in the next two years, we can eliminate it entirely. But how, how would you, how, I guess, how are you doing that then? You know, yeah, like, so with the kid, kids specifically, you know, we, we have a partner of ours, HP, who's, uh, you know, makes printer cartridges. And now they actually make a laptop uh, they mm-hmm. out of, out of uh, um, first mile plastic, but uh, at least a piece of a laptop. Sure. Uh, but the, it, we went to HP and we we're like, look, this is an issue. Like there are kids here. What do you think? You know, we believe that we can put this, you know, program together that gets these kids off the landfill and into school. And HP um, dedicated, you know, tens of thousands of extra dollars to investing in making sure that education programming exists um, for those kids. And so we put together the education programming curriculum with mm. our nonprofit partner work. Um, we make sure the kids get to school. We make sure they stay there. We, we like did a survey to make sure all like who it was at what level of education. It's, a you know, the number of things that people have to do to cope with poverty yeah. and like the choices they have to make is it would absolutely blow your mind and give you nightmares. Like the amount of like kind of Sophie's choices that families have to make around which kid to send to school, which kid to send to the doctor, like when to pull kids out of school, you know, once yeah. you got into these things, it was, it's, it's incredible that brands don't know more about this. It's actually a little bit alarming, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's it's. I think it's uh, ignorance by choice, right? Is uh, sort of what it is. Um, so you go from go to Haiti, see some stuff, start an NGO, nonprofit. Yep. yep. Start to create a business, trying to and trying to figure out stuff, and yep. then starting to work at some level. And now you say, okay, let's take a step back again. Now collect all the learnings. We really need to create our own brand. We're doing this for other people. Let's do it for ourselves. Yep. And I believe you launched the Kickstarter, raised about a half a million. Yeah, we raised about, yeah, about 615000 over about a month. Yeah. Uh, and that was to create the direct-to-consumer brand or just that, just the backpack that that was originally there? Yeah. So, so you know, the, you, you hit it on the head. Like Timberland was a client. And then all of a sudden, before you knew it, we had, you know, HP, Timberland, Converse, Ralph yep. Lauren, Puma, Reebok, et cetera. And, and we're really proud that those brands have chosen to get involved with, you know, first mile materials. Uh, we think that's awesome. Yep. Um, but for the vast majority of brands out there, you know, we go to conferences around plastic and ocean plastic all the time. And you would be absolutely blown away by how few people from the from the fashion industry come to those types of events. Wow, actually, like crazy. thinking about it, it's still like it's still really disheartening. To well, us. I know Adidas has the the Parley collection. Yeah, and that's awesome, and it's amazing. They sold a million pair of shoes. Yeah, like awesome. the money's there, right? I mean, great shoe. Like I think the Parley Parley folks are doing really good work. Like I, we love what Adidas is doing there. I, I think. For us, like the thing we started to get pissed off at is how slow everybody was moving. So yeah. it just became clear to us that that from a mission, you have to become the leader. Yeah, yeah. Like, why not just show people how to do it, right? Like, right, exactly. Like, like, rather than like, and you know what? Like, God forbid, we actually compete with some of the people out there who we think are moving too slow. Correct. Right? We want to we want to protect our first mile clients because we think they're doing good work. But like, why can't we go compete with the people we don't think are doing it well enough? And I think a perfect example of this is like. And I really applaud them. Yesterday or day before, you saw Allbirds. Like all, Amazon's coming out with a shoe mm-hmm. that, it's, that looks exact. Like it's a total yep. of the Allbirds. Yeah, yeah. You know what Allbirds said? Like, like to Tim's credit, and like he and the team were like, you know what? If you're gonna rip us off, at least be sustainable. Like Co- correct, at right? At least create something that's also recycled. Like and or sorry, that's made of something you know sustainable wool in their case. And that is like that's the gutsiest move. Like I just. <laughs> so cool and, and and i think we're saying the same thing it's like look like you're making stuff like we're just going to compete like we can make this better than you 100 percent. So that's when we decided to go for for the the backpack and that's where day owl was born yeah so let's talk about that so we go from thread international for you know the first five years or so maybe yeah. the company yeah, right. yep. let's talk about the transition from now first mile and day owl i think it, i believe yeah, yeah, let's yeah. talk yeah. about what those two things are and how they will change the world. <laughs> First of all, I love that language. <laughs> yeah, man. Listen, I, I, uh, so, so first mile, it became clear, like all the work I was talking about to this point is work that we do in what we call the first mile. So mm-hmm. like we, we, we would always say thread first mile, whatever, whatever, whatever. Right, but right. Like, we just decided like, this is all what we call the first mile. But we also decided that like, 
that we can be one of the best customers of First Mile ourselves. Mm. So in creating a brand ourselves, we said, well, we're just going to use First Mile materials to make really amazing stuff. And then it became clear to us that we had to figure out what that amazing stuff was. So we started with what we believe. Like, what do we believe as a team? Like, we believe in the hustlers. Like, we believe in the people who work till 2 a.m. Like, to start their thing, to like get ahead, to change the world. Like, we believe in those people. And those are the always been the people that loved what we, what we were working on. Mm. So we wanted to create things for that group of people. And so, you know, first we started figuring out like what we were going to call them. And we decided to call those folks day owls. It's like the people who like really like take a bite out of sun up to sundown and kind mm-hmm. of everything in between. They're the people that like we want to make feel ready for anything so that they have everything they need to go kick the crap out of the world. And so the brand was born not out of a product specifically, but out of this persona, these people that we were coming across. I've come across so many people that I'm, and I'm sure you have too, that I'm so impressed with that I believe we should be making sure that they can be proud of the things that they wear. And 100%. Yeah. So we just started, we decided we're going to start making things for those people specifically. And the the kind of the pickup truck of, of that world is the backpack. Like every single person that you and I know that, you know, they carry a backpack every day and you'd be amazed. Like there are so few backpacks that are recycled. There are so few backpacks that are actually like made of materials that we can be proud of and virtually none that can be reused again um, and put back into the circular economy. So so Day Out is a suite, uh, will be the brand that has a suite of pro- products made from 100% recycled materials, backpacks, and then so on, correct? Yep, More you got products. 100% first mile materials. And then, and then uh, backpacks is our first product, two sizes. We think we've made the most versatile backpack on the market. We think that the, re- the reviews that we're hearing from the people that have bought it are like, this is the perfect backpack for me. Because people can do everything throughout the day, and they can go on a date, they can go to work, they can go to the gym, and they yeah. they don't have to carry two bags. Like, so we just got really excited. And the other thing is that a lot of brands who do this do it at a really high price point, um, or luxury brands will make yeah. things at a really high price point. And we decided we couldn't we couldn't sell it for more than one hundred fifty bucks. So like, it's like it's doable, it's reachable. It's not like a luxury product. It's you know what we call a quality product, especially for something you're gonna have for hopefully 10 years, right? 20 years or something, right? Like that's, that's how you have to look at it. You're asking me the right questions. Yeah. Like the, the, the average backpack lifespan is incredibly low. It's about three years. And then for the most part, if everybody who's listening thinks about their backpack, like when they're finished with it, they throw it in the bottom of their, of their closet. It goes to Goodwill. It goes to landfill, whatever. Once the strap breaks, like this is made with our canvas. So it's designed it's designed to, to, to carry up to 300 pounds before the fabric breaks. So it's really durable. We believe really strongly that the first rule of sustainability is durability. Not only will people have it for a long time, but then when they're finished with it, we're going to invite them to send it back to us. And then we'll, we'll actually re-merchandise it and sell it again. Mm. Every bag has a, you'll see on the side, we'll make sure that we send you one, like we'll, has on the side a serial number. From zero up to as many backpacks as we make, so That's every cool. bag is unique. Yeah. And then when, when you when you're finished with it, people who buy lower numbers are going to get at, like earlier access to our future products. Um, but when you know we're going to offer people the chance, like it's free repairs for life. So if you have something that's broken, send it back. There's no plastic in the packaging. It's made of uh, post-consumer recycled cardboard where it comes in, and the the box is resealable. So if you have to send it back to us. Um, you can just pop it back in the box and reseal it, send it back. So we've tried to think of kind of everything that we've pushed our brands that we've worked with to do yep. all, all in one one set of products. We talk about first mile materials. Can you talk about exactly what that is? Like, is it 100% plastic water bottles? Is it 20% plastic water bottles, 80% other materials that are waste? Like, can you give me an example? Let's geek out a little here about yeah, what, sure. what that is. Yeah, right on. Yes. Uh, the, the canvas of the bag is 100% recycled polyester bottles. Mm-hmm. We chose the backpack because our canvas has uh, very little shed, so you don't get microfibers. It doesn't need to go through the wash, so you're not going to get like uh, mm. microfibers that come along with that. And then all the other pieces of the backpack are uh, sustainable in some way, shape, or form. So we, there's a neoprene sleeve inside the bag that's a repurposed neoprene sleeve. The tape on the zippers is recycled. We decided we made a conscious decision 
and we caught some flack for this during the Kickstarter, but we we're going to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, we made a conscious decision to use leather on the handles because uh-huh. I was going to use, uh, like people talked about using what people call vegan leather. Yeah. Vegan leather is just made of PVC, which is about the most destructive right. material on the planet. Yep. And, and leather, when it's done correctly, like it lasts way, way longer and is a byproduct of the meat industry. So like we used a leather working group leather that will help the bag last a lot longer we're going to sell like a leather conditioner with it that'll that'll allow people to keep that for even longer. So like every piece of the bag, every decision that we make is to make that bag, you know, last longer and be more sustainable and then be able to be used a second or a third or even a fourth time with a customer. Could you maybe talk about what's after the backpack? Is there like, is it yeah. phone cases? Is it... <laughs> I, uh, um, so- I feel like the phone case industry is so massive and nobody is really making like sustainable phone cases out of yeah, this material I, yet i think you're right i think we'll probably stay away from phone cases for now here's here's what i will say like we're already working on product two we found that we hit something with the versatility of this product it's really powerful mm-hmm. um it, you know there's some hidden pockets and like we sure. really, like there's plenty of products out there that have these very obvious needs like i didn't invent anything new we just thought about something that hadn't been reinvented in 50 years Right. And it's about doing those basic things well. So as we think about the next products, I'm I just want to focus on the ten percent of people's closets that they use ninety percent of the time. If you mm. think about your closet and like the things you use, you wear like about 10, 15, 20 percent of it almost all the time. Yep. And I don't feel like there's anybody that can go and say, like, we are leading the way across these eight or nine or ten items. And so that's what we're going to try to do. You know, I'll just use one quick example. We looked at women's pants. Like, mm-hmm. we're looking, and I think, not, not, not to say we're going to make women's pants next, because most of our stuff's going to be gender, gender neutral. But sure. women's pants pockets are not made for any amount of utility. Like, they're no. not made for women. <laughs> quote unquote good like i think that's the dumbest thing ever like why not give women the the same things you give men when it comes to like utility of the things they wear every day yeah you know they're not that's so true not just something women aren't just like aren't something to be admired like they're they're trying to get their days done they're trying to like go out and kick ass (laughs) we're not you know we just don't we just feel like so for so long the fashion industry has like looked at things like that and been like we want just people to look good we're like yeah we want people to look good but like we want them to feel good about themselves as well and feel like empowered and ready so is the 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 one the one big question i i kind of had with with everything is that how does it actually is it harder to produce a textile out of a plastic water bottle than it is for like cotton or it is for whatever you use for nylon like any other material like is it is it a bigger lift like do you have to build a facility from scratch to take water bottles and turn it into textiles no it's actually use, uses less energy to recycle plastic bottles and turn them into other stuff than it does to pull oil out of the ground. Wow. So, you know, we found that by just putting our time and energy into doing it the right way, that we can actually drive a bigger change faster and it's better for business. So ultimately, for a long time, the oil industry has just owned that part of the world. And Am I going to be happy when we don't have plastic bottles anymore to make stuff out of? Of course I am. Like, that'll be the best day ever. I'll be able to say, like, we beat this problem. But, but there's a huge mess to clean up right now. Yep. And, and somebody, like, we have to give consumers the opportunity to help be part of the solution. And, like, people aren't bad people. They want to do it. Like, they're, yep. asking, they're asking for brands to be better at this. So, like, I don't know. I don't think we're doing anything extraordinary. We're just, like, we're just trying to connect people to what we feel is like the better way to do things. No, I think, I think you just, you're assessing it and you just like, look, we've tried to work <laughs> like, hey, look, any company out there, especially any big company, big brand things move really slow, right? Yeah. There's so many people that have to agree on stuff and there's just like, it's like it's very hard to innovate, but you're already did the hard part. So it's just like, you know what? We just have to be the innovators. We have to be the global leaders in this. We think we can make some of the best products in the world out of the best materials. That's sustainable creates jobs like that's a pretty good pitch for a consumer right and it's like it's just like we you could do a better job at this and i think once a lot of other founders and entrepreneurs figure that out that they can just be better than like his the historic big brands of the world like that's that's what's going to happen they're going to think make the same decisions that you guys made and say look we're just going to 
do it on our own, right? And we're just going to innovate faster than anybody. I, I think, I hope that's right. I, I hope that that's the way that it goes. That's our plan. And like, if we do it right, it'll make us look like geniuses. And if we do it wrong, we'll look like total dummies. And like, that's okay. I feel like, you know, the, like the opportunity is like in the trying, the opportunity is in like the attempt, right? right? Let's just go for it. And who cares if we're wrong or right? Like we'll, we're not going to be perfect. You know, we called our first product the better backpack. We didn't call it the perfect backpack. We didn't call it the ultimate backpack. We didn't call it the any other. <laughs> just better. Better, right. And like, let's just try to be better. Yeah. And, and we think that we can be much better. But like, there are companies that have worked really hard to do this. And, and like, I'll give you a great example. Patagonia. Like, mm-hmm. the, the leader, like, the yep. leaders in this are, are Patagonia. And yep. Let, Let My People Go Surfing was one of my favorite books, like uh, modeling our company on the company that Yvonne Chouinard built and then mm-hmm, the people mm-hmm. that's taken it over have, have grown is exactly the type of company that I believe that we can be. I just don't believe that Patagonia should be the only ones. Of course. No, I mean, just you know, listen, there's there's a hundred different, every type of thing, right? Toothpaste, toilet paper, yeah. candy bars. Like there's, en- there's enough consumers in the world where everybody can be sustainable and be successful, right? Yeah. And, you know, I, I always look to the brands like this because I want people to know about you guys, right? And understand what Patagonia's model is and, and what they've done. And look, people, you know, people, People sometimes buy the opposite of Patagonia just because they don't like the people who buy Patagonia stuff, right? Yeah, like absolutely. it's gonna happen, right? Okay. But, but like, why not? They should, have, but they should have an option that's the opposite, like uh, like of Patagonia that's also sustainable. Yeah, no doubt. That's yeah, no doubt. It's uh, yeah. Look, it's it's. I think that's capitalism and consumerism does a lot of bad things, but also does yeah. a lot of good things, right? And optionality is one of the really good things that it does. And as we as we can make innovative textiles out of materials, if we can get all the garbage out of the landfills, if we can get all the garbage out of the ocean, that is a massive, massive, massive problem that we have. And the effects of doing that, cleaning that up, solving that problem, the indirect effects that will happen is incredible. And businesses can make money from cleaning up our world. Like there's a lot of money to be made in there. So just <laughs> telling these companies and brands, show them the business model, I think is how they're going to understand how to do it. Right. And then you just, you guys are just going to lead the way and show them how to do it. And then people will follow you is what's going to happen. That's the plan. That's the plan. I, you know, I, I have to say, because in the, at the risk of being like, you know, you and I sound like we can solve all the world's problems over an hour. Sure. But, but like at the risk of sounding a, a, like a little negative, I will say that we have a huge, like the problems in front of us are massive. Oh, we are losing the battle to recycle the world's plastic and get it up off the ground. By the way, I think that we should, I, I believe very strongly that we should push for a ban for single use plastic. Well, Indonesia is already doing it. I mean, there's other countries that are way ahead of. They're starting to. In fact, talk again, because I'm going to be in uh, a city in Indonesia, in Surabaya. Yep. uh, next week and i can't wait to see because i haven't been in indonesia yet but i can't wait to see how it's actually going what, what i what i will say is that like getting the ban globally on single-use plastics is i think a, a step in the right direction cleaning up the mess but right now a garbage truck a minute full of plastic is going into our oceans like a garbage yeah truck- no it's you can't we can't keep up with there's no way we're getting consumers like the consumers just buy too much of it to where you can't keep up with it and there's a ban companies right like we, you know, you believe in consumers solving this problem, but that part, like that's on companies making the right decisions. And I think if both of those two things happen, then I think we solve the problem. Yeah, but the, the problem with just banning stuff, right? Like, let's just let's just ban it, right? That's great, but like, you still have to. <laughs> you can't just say that and have no backup plan, right? Of like, okay, you ban it. Well, that's a lot of jobs that's going to be lost, right? Because there's a lot of people who work for the plastic industry right right so then you got now you got mass exodus of people losing jobs what's the alternative right to people love buying water so like what's the alternative for people who drink water out of a bottle right there's not an alternative yet at a mass scale it can be be produced so yeah it's easy to say right and and good to say but it's hard to do there's some aluminum bottle companies out there that are starting to make make stuff out of uh, for water water bottles. I read something really hilarious, not I guess sadly hilarious, on Twitter the other day, which was like bottle. I don't, I, I don't even know who this was, so sorry if somebody out there. Yeah, was, yeah. Uh, but like I, I heard it, and it was like bottled water companies don't manufacture water; they manufacture plastic bottles. And yeah. 
And it's like that's yeah. the, like they literally make plastic bottles for a living. So so you know we're seeing some really good stuff. Like I think Just Water. Oh God, Will Smith's son. Yeah, Will Smith's family. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just Jayden. Water. Jaden. Jaden yeah, Smith yeah, yeah. started it. It's awesome. Um, I think that's a good alternative. We're starting to you're starting to see some recycled companies that are starting to get in. The pro, the the, pro, the I I agree with you 100. percent The still issue is that people still have to recycle that stuff, right? That's the it's other stuff. Harder than it ever has been. Like recycling. You know, don't get me started. Like recycling the US is terrible right now. Yeah, it's it's a whole another issue. It's a all right, but I I want to be I want to be sensitive of your time. So let's 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 kind of finish up with you know your hopes and, and maybe visions. Let's do this. Let's do lessons learned the last you know let's say decade, right? Because you've been through a long journey of, mm-hmm. of of some amazing things. So can you give us lessons learned and then future vision of the next ten years and what you want that to be? Biggest lesson learned in, uh, is that the more you know, like the more you think you know, the less you actually know. <laughs> yeah. um, that that you know, that come you know, the past ten years have given me a, a look inside the lives of uh, people who now become my friends and family. And you know, the biggest thing there that has become really apparent to me is that, and I knew this before, but maybe hadn't really experienced it in this way, is that the world, the system, is not set up in a way where where people for all people can succeed mm-hmm. there are people that we are leaving behind and we can decide to do something about that or not so so i think that's probably the biggest lesson that on that side of things and what about let's talk about vision maybe right you had you had a great vision thus far so what you do you want maybe the next 10 years and what that vision looks like it looks like to be maybe a sort of a, a patagonia type brand right that that maybe innovates even more yeah, I mean, look, Patagonia became a billion-dollar brand by being somebody who who seeks to actually somebody solve. who gave a shit, right? As simple yeah. as it sounds. Solve for the environmental crisis, like that's part of their mission, right? Make take steps to solve for the the global environmental crisis, and and I feel that like customers, if presented with the right options, um, will do that in every situation. And I believe really strongly that Dayal um, can become that type of brand. Um, so I can't wait to put into effect all the things we've kind of talked about over the past 10 years that we said, man, it'd be great if we're just going to do it. We're going to do all of it. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, I, I think my vision is a, is cr- to create a brand that can set an example for everybody, not by being perfect, but by attempting. All right. The le- very, I promise this is the last one. We, uh, I want to go back to, to Tassie real quick. Do you still stay in touch with him? Is, did, did he get a job? Does yeah. he work for First Mile? Yeah, Tassie's like he's family. I mean, uh, <laughs> he had a son. His son's name is Elijah Ian. Uh, Great name. He he, uh, he he graduated from college. Um, he's a chemist. Oh wow! Yeah, he's he's doing great. Uh, you know, he, I I just we just had a, we talk all the time, and and we were texting the other day, and uh, and I reminded him that he is as old now <laughs> as I was when I went to Haiti for the first time. Oh wow! Yeah, That's so cool. like. Yeah, it's like this great, crazy, like come back around type of thing, and and uh, he's trying to figure out what he wants. You know, the same thing I was trying to figure out, like what do I want out of life? Like, how do I be useful? You know? Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm, I mean, I'm being a chemist is a great skill, right? I mean, there's going to be problems he can solve. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what's awesome is like, he, yeah, you know, we we were talking about it, and and uh, I remember being, he was 28, and I remember being that age, and and you know. Tazi is no longer poor. Like he, he used to be, he used to, he grew up in Cité Soleil and Port-au-Prince. He was poor, but now, you know, he's just trying to figure out how not to be broke. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. it's a, it's another level. You're, you're hundred yeah, percent right. Yeah. Like all of us are. Most to, of America is trying to figure that out. Yeah, We're all trying to figure that out. Like we're all just trying to figure out how not to be broke. And, <laughs> and I, think, I think that's a, a good analog for everybody. Like we're all just trying to figure out how not to be broke. And we want to, we want to, we want to be able to do that and not kind of destroy the planet and the people that live in it. So that's our goal. Well, I appreciate it so much, man. Thank you for taking the time. I'm, I'm glad we got to, to finally do this and our paths can finally cross.